0: The following podcast contains explicit language.
1: Hello, and welcome to Sex Lives, the New York Magazine sex podcast. I'm New York Magazine sex columnist Maureen O'Connor. David Wallace-Wells is away this week, but I'm very excited to be joined in studio by Carly Scioratino, a fellow sex columnist and the author of many things, in particular, the Breathless column for Vogue. She also created slutever.com, and we're going to be talking about... Dating, dating apps, and uh, my giant rant against Raya. Carly, welcome to Sex Lives. Thank you. I'm really excited. So, I guess I want to talk about your vote columns, but I wonder if first, maybe you could just give us a little background on how Slut Ever started, how you ended up in this field.
2: Sure. I started Slut Ever back in 2007, and it was pretty early days of blogging. So, it wasn't, yeah. I didn't anticipate it to be a career in any way. I just was starting out as a writer and writing primarily about my own life. I was squatting in a hostel in London at the time. And I was, you know, we weren't paying rent and we lived in this big house. And there was like 15 of us and there was a lot of young artists and asylum seekers and travelers and gypsies and like homeless people. And I was like, this is funny. Maybe I should write about this. Uh And then I just started writing about sex because I'm interested in it. It was just like by accident. And then just over the course of the years, it just sort of streamlined to being a, a blog more about sex as I got more into... um. Started working with the dominatrix, mm-hmm. and then I got really into the psychology behind sort of people with fringe sexual behaviors and people in the sex industry, and then it just kind of by accident became a sex blog, basically. And now I have a staff of girls who who write for it, mm-hmm. um, and it's largely about sexuality and feminism and the intersection with pop culture.
1: <laughs> were you Were you working as a
2: dominatrix? Um, I did for a while, yeah.
1: Mm. How old were you when you were doing that?
2: I guess I was 25 and 26. Does that, like, inform your sex life now, do you think? Or your sexual outlooks? It definitely... Desensitizes you.
1: Yes. (laughs) Because
2: then absolutely nothing is surprising ever again. The way it started was I was profiling this Dom for Vice. Yeah. And so I shadowed her for a week. Mm -hmm. And the first time I watched her pee into a guy's mouth, Uh I like had to leave the room because I thought I was going to throw up. And I was like, that would be inappropriate or like at least unprofessional or something.
1: I don't know. Maybe the guy who likes getting pee in his Uh. mouth would enjoy seeing chicks vomit.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly, just all across the board. But. (laughs) Um, but then, like, by the end of the week, I was just like, I nothing phases me. You yeah. just, like, a really quick desensitization period. Um, did you really pee fun. in guys' mouths? Eventually, I, I did, yeah. I graduated to being my own. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this is funny. I was talking to a guy who was really into peeing recently, and he's like, you'd be surprised how many women are like, cool, I'll do it. And then they just can't pee. Like, their bladder gets shy or whatever.
2: Oh, no, it, it's a literal skill. Like, you have to really? like, you have to start drinking water about— Two hours before, so that your bladder is really full. Because if someone's paying you hundreds of dollars to pee on them, you need to they, fucking pee. You, you need a full bladder, right? But you—it's ha- like perfectly. You have to time it well. Because if you start drinking water too early, you can't hold it, and oh. then you like end up peeing right before. It's,
1: it's like I don't know if I'm just extremely hydrated, but I feel like I pee whenever I wanted to. I could pee right now if I wanted to. And I'm saying this, actually, when I have, like, two Diet coats lined up next to me. That might be it, because when that guy told me that, that I was like, I don't think I have a single problem peeing. Like, I think I could pee on anyone whenever, but I think I'm overly hydrated.
2: Maybe, but also some people get performance anxiety.
1: Ah, true. Interesting.
2: I love that.
1: Um, We should—now I can't decide if I want to just keep on talking about that. How long did you, like, were you doming for? Doming? Can can I use it as a verb that way?
2: Yes. Uh, About two years. The thing is, I— All of these things I feel like I get into because I'm like, that's so interesting. And what type of people do that? And why do they like it? And then it becomes like this sort of combination of my own personal sexual adventure, but also fodder for my writing. Yeah. You know, and then you start to, you're like, oh, wow, these people are just regular people with real jobs. And you start humanizing them and they become less alien and they become less of the other. And I think that's really important. Like, I just don't think that I could be someone who writes about sexuality and just be like, oh, but those like weird freaks in dungeons and I've not experienced it. Yeah, so.
1: No, um, I hate when people write that way about sex because it's just rude. Um, It's so funny because I was also just, I recently, I think I've said this before on this podcast maybe, but I feel like the reason any level of sleddiness that I have comes purely from curiosity (laughs) that there's, it's so much that I'm like, well, what would you be like in bed? Let's find out. Or like, yeah. what what is your dick going to look like? Like, there's only one way to find out. And I feel like it's this, like, nitro way of getting to instantly ask someone absolutely anything. Like, once you've, like, seen each other's assholes, there's, like, nothing you can't ask someone,
2: you know? that like It's true. It's like a shortcut to intimacy. Exactly. Which I find
1: so interesting and fun.
2: <laughs> You're like, I'm on Tinder for anthropological purposes.
1: Oh, I know. Like, going on, it's become such a almost problem in my life, because I love going on first dates so much because, like, in what other setting are you allowed to be like, tell me about your relationship with your mother? And somebody will actually just, like, give you an answer as opposed to being like, I'm going to go refresh my drink by. Like,
2: on a first date, you're allowed to ask all of that. I feel exactly like that. And I think that this is a difference between people like us and then people who find dating getting some anxiety. Is yeah. it just, like, those awkward, weird bubbles of, like, transparency or intimacy that you create when you're just, like, sitting face-to-face with someone having a conversation? Like, I actually like the experience of waking up up next to someone that I don't really know that well and seeing just, like, how they behave in the first 15 minutes of their day. Like, that's Mm -hmm. an interesting experience for me. I think some people don't want to do that. That part is really interesting but I
1: really don't like waking
2: up next to people if only
1: that seeing someone sleeping is a moment that will give me you never know. (laughs) Like, is it going to be adorable or is it going to be disgusting? Mm -hmm. I remember there was this time I hooked up with this guy and I was like, you need to go now or, you know, I was like, I don't want you to sleep over tonight. Um, And so he's like, "Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm going. And I, like, go to sleep Um, and I'm like lying in my bedroom, and at some point I wake up. I'm like, "What is that noise?" And I realize this—the guy is lying on my sofa snoring. And seriously, like seeing him like lying there, disgustingly snoring when he wasn't supposed to be there—that I was like, "This is the grossest man I've ever seen." I like (laughs) tried to wake him up, and I physically could not wake this person up. And I was like, "I, what's happening? Is he dying? Who knows?" And so I'm like, "I can't deal with this." So I just go back to my bedroom and I go back to sleep, hoping that at some point he'll wake up and leave. I wake up again in the morning; he is still snoring and like gurgling, like, phlegm. It's, like, absolutely disgusting. I'm texting all my friends. I'm like, what the fuck do I do? Like, he's still on my sofa sleeping. I cannot wake this man up. Um, And I'm like, he's so fucking gross, and I couldn't stand it. So I literally go, and I start just picking up my recycling bin and dropping it to make, like, hugely (laughs) loud, like, clashing bottle noises, (laughs) and I'm pretending that I'm cleaning, and eventually he wakes up, I'm like, I'm cleaning, you need to go, and he pops up, and he's like, oh, oh my god, I'm so sorry, Maureen, da-da-da, and he's like, back to being adorable again, and then I was like, oh my gosh, I do like you, but if I see you sleep, I'll hate you forever. (laughs) And thus, I don't know, I feel like sleeping is such a double edge for me, which is crazy because I think for some people it would be the sex would be the part where you're like it could be make or break. But for me, seeing someone sleep, is there's something just like. It's more. It's almost more intimate to sleep next to someone than to fuck someone. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Because you're not conscious, you know, <laughs> what you do when you're not. I mean, I can't imagine how disgusting I am when I sleep or whatever. But, yeah, there have definitely been times when I've seen someone sleeping and they're so peaceful and sweet. But then sometimes I'm like, I can't control what feeling I'm going to have once I see you sleep. I can't see you sleep.
2: Yeah, so it's just like preservation. <laughs>
1: <laughs> These are such deranged descriptions of where I find intimacy or not. What I also really want to talk to you about, though, is that you wrote a series of columns recently for Vogue about um, dating apps. Starting yeah. with, you wrote one, why Raya is the Soho House of Dating Apps. Let's talk about that.
2: Raya is an exclusive dating app for people in creative industries so in order to get out you have to apply and then you send
1: them your instagram handle
2: right so like, you send them your instagram and this like anonymous committee of like cool people assess your creative influence and like decide if you're like cool enough to be in the club basically uh-huh. and the problem with it of course is that like it's sort of high school and that the people mm-hmm. that they deem as being like worthy or cool or creative enough i feel like the process is often quite superficial
1: it's um so i believe the cut where i write ran an article about it um i can't remember a few months ago and sort of the the shtick of the way they looked at it was like celebrities kids djs models that sort of or uh, some models isn't everyone a slash model like yeah, everyone noddle, a noddle every yes noddle like like noddle's like a non model. models? Yes. Raya is the app of noddles who yes. have other jobs as well. It exactly. sounds like it'd be like a strudel noddle. <laughs>
2: It's been called Illuminati Tinder. It's been called mm-hmm. the Soho House of Dating Apps because basically they say that they I just think that their value system is has a lot of problems. Right. It's um they value people rather than what they say. Like they, they say they value people for being for their creative achievements. but They actually seemingly value people for being conventionally attractive, like rich enough to travel to cool places. People who wear the right clothes have celebrity friends and then i find that they often reject like they recently rejected my iranian american friend who is a doctor of psychology and it's like really amazing and cool mm-hmm. and uh they rejected another one of my friends who's a television producer for the bbc and it's just like but why Do
1: straight up reject or you're just infinitely waiting listed
2: uh, I think they reject.
1: Oh. Okay, so my fucking beef with Raya. Raya, I hope you're listening. What? I've been waitlisted since the beginning for, like, a fucking year. Which
2: is crazy, because why?
1: I know. At first, I kind of took it personally that I was like, what? Is this because, like the publication I work for like ran like they ran like one of the first articles about them and apparently they had some little like stink because the whole shtick with Raya is that like you can't you can't take a screen grab it's supposed to be kind of discreet or whatever um, which just means that every time somebody gets a good Raya match it'll be like my friends will be at the bar or whatever and they're like Maureen take a picture of my phone so we can show everybody who we just found on Raya since oh you God, can't amazing. take a screen grab of it <laughs> so FYI the, the phones of people who are not on Raya are full of the actual Raya dirt
2: <laughs> <laughs> I actually think it's just Disgusting and a tragedy that they would not let you in, but then they just let in the worst people who just like literally do nothing and they have like celebrity parents.
1: Because I'm not on it, I'm convinced it must be where all of the good people are. No, but that's exactly <laughs> what they're trying to do. It's I know, the I'm worst. falling for it. I'm falling for
2: it. <laughs> also, I mean, I already know that like based on writing that article, I'm probably gonna be kicked off Raya, but I would go as far to say that like Raya is like vaguely racist.
1: This is my secret theory, because the other thing that I noticed when I was asking around my friends, because obviously when I realized that I was never getting off the wait list, I became like monomaniacally obsessed with being like, are you on Raya? Are you on Raya? Who have you met on Raya? Who's on Raya? (laughs) Who else did you see on Raya? Is she hotter than me? Is someone hotter than me on Raya? Um, I don't think a single Asian person I know is on Raya. And I'm half Asian for those who can't see my physical self (laughs) right now. Um, Maureen O'Connor does not necessarily sound like an Asian name. But... Then that became my other secret theory. Well, two
2: of my friends that were, re- I know that were rejected of like people that I know mm-hmm. were both, um, brown.
0: Hmm. And
2: hmm. the other thing is that if you're on it, which I am, and I'm all on like every dating app. Yeah. If you look on Tinder, it's like so. Basically, the people that you're seeing in Raya all essentially are from major cities because that's where they're. Like they also bases don't geolocate,
1: are. right? They don't you, geolocate. You match people in every place because the premise being that we're all such jet setters. Right. We're like,
2: you know, cool biculture. I could Club. love a man in Tokyo or London or here. Right. Like I'm not yeah, I'm not sort of like commoner of Tinder who dates in my neighborhood kind of thing. <laughs> but it's like so if you're if you're seeing matches in um these cosmopolitan cities, why is everyone on the app white, basically? It doesn't make this sense. This is an important question. <laughs> Like it, the ratio is so different to that of any other dating app where you just feel like you're seeing like a cross section of who would be hmm. around you in the in a city. People Hell. don't even go on dates from Raya, which is the other complaint. Mm. Is that uh, it's used? It's sort of like says that it's supposed to be for dating and sex, but it's actually mostly used for networking. So it's Ah. a lot of, like, out-of-work actresses matching with directors and being like, oh, my God, like, let's get coffee. Like, I know two girls in Mm -hmm. L.A. who matched with Paul Haggis on Raya (laughs) and, like, met up with him because they were just like, lol, it would be funny to meet up with Paul Haggis, but it's like, slash, lol, you just want him to, like, put you in a movie or something or, like, introduce you to someone cool or powerful. does Paul Haggis go on his Raya networking dates? Did they actually go with it? Yeah. He's just looking to bang and they're just looking for like connections. So it's kind of the casting couch app. Yeah. It's no honestly, offense to these girls. Tragic. I mean, good for
1: them or have your hustle. But yeah, it's yeah. the casting couch app. I feel like now that we've said that, if like word we're, were to get out, then actually there'd just be so many purvo directors and photographers
2: yeah. on that app. Right. They're just like going to leverage their social standing, which is what a lot of people do.
1: Hmm. Hmm. All right. You know what? You've convinced me that I don't need to want to be on Raya anymore.
2: Cool. I'm going to be kicked (laughs) off, I'm sure, in like one second.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Show me your Raya. Let's see the celebrities. Like
2: murdered. Like, what would you do if I got like because if it's like this weird Illuminati Tinder thing and like I talk shit about (gasps) Raya and then they like killed me.
1: Then you know what? I'm going to use all my platforms to speak truth to power because how will they find me? I'm not on their app. They don't even know who I am. (laughs) (laughs) Have you seen any good celebrities on Raya?
2: Um. Like, uh, Joe Jonas. Oh, that's um, a pretty good one. Elijah Wood. Hannibal Buress, who I really like. The guy from Lincoln. Oh, yeah. From
1: I think he was on one of my Rock friends City. the
2: other day. That was one of the ones I took a picture of, I think. Yeah. So there are <laughs> some people that are cool. Have Do they actually talk to you, or have you talked to any of those people? I haven't talked to any celebrities. I've mainly talked to just... Regular. Yeah, just like guys who... Seemingly do nothing but, like, Noddle? surf. Yeah, mm. <laughs> What dating apps do you like? Tinder has been probably the one that I feel I've been most successful on. Yeah. Um, and it just feels like you have more, like, choice. There isn't a group of people who are pre-selecting for you and saying, like, these are the best people, so choose from them. It's like, no, why don't I get to just choose who the best people are? Like, you know, and... I've just met a lot of people on there that I never would have met in my normal life, which I really like. I think one of the greatest benefits of dating apps is that it gets you out of your social scene. Also, it removes social sanctioning a lot. So one of the greatest benefits, I think, of dating apps is, um, for women especially, it can eliminate, like, slut shaming and Mm -hmm. um, social pressures or, or shaming. For example, like... If you didn't use dating apps and you only dated people that you met through your friends or through work or mm-hmm. through your social scene, probably most of the people that you know would sort of have an idea of, like, who you were sleeping with or how many people you slept with yeah. because, like, everyone talks and, like, you're in a social network. Mm-hmm. And eventually you could get a reputation. Even if you'd only slept with a few people, it would be like, she's kind of a slut. Where it's like, when you remove your social network as, like, a... A method of meeting people, like Mm -hmm. I could go on like five Tinder dates a week with five random people, and no one I know would have to know about it unless I would decide to tell them. So it gives you a lot more autonomy.
1: I agree. I think that um, because initially, when I first you know like moved to New York and as an adult, like I had a boyfriend for several years, and so by the time I started dating, kind of like. App dating was already pretty much in like, you know, I had a couple of like boyfriends straight in a row that I met in normal ways. But by the time my first like beginning of like being truly single, Tinder already existed. So I've sort of functionally as an adult, like not the only times that I've lived by myself in my own private apartment and been dating, Tinder has always, always existed for me. Right. Um. And thus, it's really incomprehensible to me to imagine not having this sort of built-in resource for getting outside of my own world or for meeting—it's stunning to me how often I'll meet somebody who lives like two blocks from me, and yet their life is totally different than mine, yeah. that they they go to different bars than I do. They go—they do different things than I do. They walk up and down the street we both live on at different times than I do. And it's like remarkable how many people are like sort of hiding in plain sight until you have this one sort of silly and yet you— useful tool for sort of f- pulling them out of wherever like the nooks and crannies where they are within the five block radius that i'm willing to walk to, to go on a
2: date <laughs> it's so so true and i feel like we don't even realize how caught up and stuck we get into our own social scenes i find mm-hmm. myself like, increasingly only hanging out with people who work in media even just like sometimes i'm out to dinner with my friends and i'm like everyone here is a writer like I need to see. I need to hang out on like with someone else and have a different conversation. Someone around. who has a skill, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly, and like who isn't just like literally paid to have feelings on the internet. Um, <laughs> recently, I met this guy, for example, who I live right next to Beth Israel Hospital, uh-huh. and he was a doctor there and I was like random like we're, we walk on the same block all the time I exactly. never would have met you and like that's just someone we have no friends in common on Facebook it's kind of crazy to fuck someone you have no friends in common on Facebook with
1: oh my god it's the best Ugh. well that's also it's that weird thing where um there's this illusion of safety I think that certain apps particularly say apps like hinge or the ones that tell you what friends you have in common to me that the feeling of having no safety net is like kind of exciting and that's part of the fun of meeting new people totally. I get that some people do want that like oh I need to vet him first I need to know that someone else knows him. On the other hand, that is a really false sense of security, I think. Because, like, just because, what, like, five people that I know also know that person, that doesn't make him any safer. That doesn't make him any less likely to break my heart, you know? There's sort of—it's a strange way that we've built, now that we have so many tools for figuring out how connected we are to people, that we create this sort of false sense of, like, I need to know someone that you know. Otherwise, it isn't okay to date you
2: somehow. Totally. I think that— in a really extreme way, probably someone that you have no social connections with is more likely to, like, rob you than someone. I guess perhaps
1: that there's just, like, less to. But, I mean. There's less, like, of extreme
2: danger. Yeah, I guess that's true. But I just, um, it's like, I feel like it's a small price to pay for me to feel like I'm, free yeah from like that idea of social sanctioning that i was talking about
1: no it's that also awesome feeling of that like isn't that just the point of being an adult of that like i could go on like i could fuck a hundred men in a night or i could stay home on netflix nobody gets to know nobody gets to choose i don't have to report my activities to anyone because like that is the joy of being an adult who lives in her own apartment in a city makes her own money does what she wants you know
2: I know. That's exactly how I feel. (gasps) This is going to be the
1: boringest podcast because it's just us being like,
2: yeah. (laughs) I feel like you perfectly articulated why I love dating apps. And that is the exact reason why some people hate them. Yeah. Because they just want the security of knowing, like, you know someone I know. And if you treat me like shit, I'm going to make you pay for it by telling our friends.
1: Oh, my gosh. So I – wait, this is a story I haven't told in the podcast yet. I think maybe I keep saving it.
2: I went on a Tinder date once, and I got there,
1: and the guy was a little bit high. Um, like, he could really like smoke some weed at some point in the afternoon and we met in the evening. And it was one of those that I was with some friends, and we'd had a dinner together. And then afterwards, after dinner, I was like, let's go out. And everyone was like, I oh, don't really feel like going out. And I was like, what? Come on. Fine. I'm going to find someone at dinner. And I'll just go out, like, with that person because I feel like going out tonight. Um, and so – I get there and meet this guy and he's like, look, you're great. I like you, but FYI, you are not the girl in those pictures. And I was like, but that is me. Um, And he's like, I mean, that's cool. But like, who is this girl Marine? whose like pictures you took and all this. And I was like, that is me. Those are, those pictures are me. And I was like, so are you saying that? I'm like, uglier than my pictures or hotter than my pictures and he's like no because that girl maureen is not cute at all and you're pretty cute but you're not her and you've stolen this girl's identity he's like i'm going to tell her and it was
2: so crazy and weird fucking awkward also if the girl wasn't cute at all why was he there
1: I know. And I was like, I can't tell if you're insulting me or complimenting me. I don't know what's happening right now. And then the weirdest thing is for whatever, this is sort of an embarrassing thing to admit, and yet I embarrass myself on this podcast every week. Um, I was wearing a bun donut, you know, those like little like <laughs> the, like circular um, like, scrunchy piece. thing. And then you spread your like hair over it so that you look like you have a big fluffy bun. So I was wearing a bun donut. And for whatever reason, at some point – even though this guy is like totally crazy, I end up making out with him at the bar. And he goes to pull my hair out of my ponytail, which, first of all, men should never do that. That's just like the rudest thing in the world. Like, yeah, I think sometimes, I know, I think sometimes somebody thinks they're gonna like pull your hair out and you'll know, like shake it down and be really hot. But like, it's always I'm like, I did my hair, stop. But he goes and he goes, Oh my God, are you wearing a wig? And then he goes completely crazy because he's like, This girl has like stolen an identity and she's wearing a wig and all of this. This is the most awkward story I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> I kind of loved it, obviously. And the craziest thing is the next morning I tweeted about it that I was like, went on a date, like, some guy, da, da, da. and the guy just straight up outed himself that he tweeted back at me and was like, oh, it was me, da-da-da-da. Um, and, like, everybody, like, the people that had, like, seen the tweet about it or whatever saw it. And they're like, oh, my God, that's the guy? That's the guy that thought you stole an identity? Um, and then crazy. he's like, so second date? And I was like, No! <laughs> um no i mean for i'm such a also though that i want to be able to just cut ties when i'm done dating someone like oh, yeah. i do not believe in the like let's just be friends and i'm like i kind of already have friends i don't need you to be a friend
2: sometimes i just Fade. ghost yeah mm-hmm. i we'll think it's better i kind of love
1: ghosting yeah i love ghosting because it gives both parties plausible deniability because like say you run into each other late and you're like oh my god like we fell out of touch too bad you know oh geez we should get back together and like you can both pretend like you don't know what happened, even though you both do know what happened. But, like, you can yeah. sort of have a little, like, sort of a fig leaf of, like, things got busy. I went out of town. Who knows? Like, you can sort of—I mean, I guess that's why some people hate it, right? Because they just try to fill in the gap with their imaginations, and they imagine, like, he hates me, da, da 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 But to me, I feel like leaving it open
2: for someone to fill in the blanks by themselves is kind of nice. I almost think so too because it's just like you're saying nothing but you're saying a ton. You're saying that you yeah. don't want to talk to them and it's almost saving them that embarrassing element of like just having to deal with something that's obviously a lie. Yeah. But then I think that there's times when it's appropriate to go some ghost someone and then it becomes rude after a certain point to ghost. That's like, true. If you have sex with someone four times, like I don't think you can ghost after
1: that. I dated a guy for 9 months. <laughs> And we had one fight, literally one time. I started crying in a restaurant, so I like ran out. It was actually such a like I'm normally really, truly not the kind of girl who cries in a restaurant and runs out. This is I think the only time it's happened in my life. And of course we're sitting, it's like one of those long, narrow restaurants where like the door and then just like one long hall and we're in the very, very back corner and like <laughs> it was one of those fixed course meals. and You could just feel it coming in like with every single like meal, the sommelier comes out and is like, and here's the pairing. He's explaining and we're like, dude, leave. Can't you see bad shits going down? And so I'm, crying and then I have to like I'm like I can't what am I gonna do I'm like truly crying and I'm like starting to like sob and I'm like I can't be in this restaurant what am I gonna do and like the psalm is coming out with like the dessert course and matching and I was like I just I'm gonna go and so I get up and I'm like walking and I'm like oh my god this is such a fucking long walk <laughs> Walk of because I'm going from the back to the front and I literally get there and the hostess has the door open for me already and is like <laughs> here you go you so everyone in the restaurant is like oh my god is the crying girl out yet is the crying girl out yet so anyways, I run out crying. I'm like, that was fucking a mess. And I like wait a little. And then I call him and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I'm I'm like two blocks away because, of course, I only go on dates within five blocks of my house. So we were right by my house. Right. <laughs> and I was like, do you want it? Let's talk. And literally nine months of dating, one crying fight, granted an ugly crying fight, but one crying fight, he ghosted after nine months. I have to this day, that was like six. no. That was almost a year. I don't know That's how long insane. ago. About a year ago, he literally just never, ever replied to me or anything. I found out that we were for sure broken up when about a month later, when I'm still kind of like, are you coming back? Like, what's happening? I like I'm kind of like maybe he's cooling down for a while. Um, and about a month later, I met a guy at a party who goes, oh, my God, I know your ex-boyfriend says his name. And then I was like, wow, didn't know he was my ex-boyfriend. Thanks. That's so crazy. And did you make multiple efforts to get in contact with him? Yeah, time? and it was right after that that then he like blocked me on all social media. God, as that I tell this story intense. though, it <laughs> sounds like I'm a real. I don't think I'm that big of a bitch. I am a bitch sometimes, but I wasn't a bitch to him. I guess but that was the most. What
2: caused the fight? Like, did you like fuck his best friend or something? No,
1: we were literally fighting over the fact that he'd blown me off a couple times, and I was kind of like, I like need some advance warning. Like, I'd literally gone to like a bar and waited for him, and you know, I was yeah. like, I don't like that. And then he just was kind of like a dick to me about it, or like we somehow, summa- you know, like we ended up it-, it spiraled into like
2: a fight. He sounds like he sucks though, honestly.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing is, like, it didn't. That though was then I was like, maybe this is how other people feel when ghosting happens. Cause that one felt truly like I was like, it was the not knowing that I was like, Do I have a boyfriend? Am I allowed to date or
2: not? Like The not knowing is is difficult. That was hard. Um Sometimes I think it's better to just like be really, really straightforward and send one text just like, I'm just not interested in dating right now. Yes. Maybe like, that's help. the text. Is that, is that the text? Like, I'm just really not interested in dating right now. And then just like never respond ever again to anything else they say. So at least they're not waiting. That's a fair game ghost, I would say.
1: Because that's like there is an explanation and then it's enough of an explanation. You don't really owe more to someone than that. Like if he just said we dated for nine months but we're breaking up right now because I don't want to be with you, I'd be like, okay. Like At least you wouldn't be wondering. Yeah, only because like I wasted a month when I could have been sleeping around when I was like, is he coming back? <laughs> This is the most
2: pathetic story of my life. The first episode ever of Sex in the City is about that woman who gets ghosted. Remember, and it's no. like this English journalist comes to New York and she like meets this guy and he like takes her on a ton of dates. Oh, right, and, like, that's
1: the first. That's also her first column ever of Sex in the City. Yes, exactly. Yeah,
2: yeah. There's something along the lines of like he doesn't call her back suddenly when she thinks that they're gonna like get engaged and she like never calls again. And then Carrie's like, I guess she no one told her about the end of Romance in Manhattan. <laughs>
1: Overall, how do you think, because you wrote a column, are dating apps better for meeting people than bars?
2: Yeah. Is the answer yes, then? It sounds like that's the way you're leaning? I totally think so. Because I also think we just have to ask ourselves, who are the types of people who hang out in bars? Me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and nobody should meet me, so stay on dating apps exactly. and swipe left when you see me.
2: <laughs> I mean, We all go to bars sometimes, but I just feel like... yeah why would you go to a place where you can choose from 20 people when you could just choose from 20,000 people on
1: your phone? Yes. And where you know that everyone is there because they are looking for someone.
2: Right. And the thing is that's interesting is that I think that the norms have shifted. Mm-hmm. So 10 years ago, we still were in that zone where there was a lot of social stigma around online dating. Yeah. So you were kind of like, oh, who's the kind of person that goes on like a, a dating website? Like someone who like can't meet someone so It's kind yeah. of pathetic and like weird and creepy. And now it's totally shifted. We're like, who prowls for sex in bars? Like, how <laughs> desperate are you, right? And because of that, it's made it more difficult, I think, to meet people in bars so because true. you're not in a bar looking to hook up and go home yes. with someone. No one else is. So if you're, you're the in one a bar person, because
1: you're on your Tinder date.
2: Right, exactly. <laughs> or you're waiting for them to show up. And I, I did this experiment where I tried to get laid in bars um, as research for that article, mm-hmm. and uh, I failed. <laughs>
1: It's also because when you're at a bar, it's um, this is a funny thing that I was talking to a friend and I was like, gosh, it's so hard, though, because like if you're meeting someone at a bar, how can you tell if he's single or not? There should really and she's like, there should really be a signal. Like if somebody is taken, they should really have to like wear a shirt that says I'm taken. And then I was like, wait, honey, we just realized what the point of wedding rings are. <laughs> However, when everything's amorphous, like there isn't a signal that tells you the signal is seeing them on Tinder. You know,
2: <laughs> well, I just thought that I thought recently that my gynecologist was hitting on me. What? Yeah, and like I think I think he's kind of cute, and he I feel like we're always flirting, and then like, and then I said to my friend, I was like, well, he's not wearing a wedding ring, so I think he's single, and she was like, I'm pretty sure he takes it off at work. <laughs> I was like, oh right, because he like sticks his hand in people's pussies all day. Like I actually just like hadn't thought of that. I was like, oh, he's single. Wait, you have to date your gynecologist. You it would so be that. so funny. Right? I have
1: never known anyone who dated their gynecologist. And thus, you need to do it because I need to know someone who's done that. Yeah. A. B. that is like the ultimate intense meet cute in that there's certain like, how did you guys meet that like make people excited? And there's certain how did you meet that make people shut the fuck up? And I really want to know which direction this one is going to go.
2: I know. It just looks so weird. Like he left me this voicemail recently. Just was like, I just wanted to call and personally tell you that you don't have any STDs. I was like, is this normal? I actually recently dated this ER doctor from Tinder, and um, he's like young. He's like, mm-hmm. you know, twenty eight. And I was like, "Do you ever get turned on by your patients?" Mm-hmm. You know? And he was like, "I do." And it's probably well, he's like, "I usually if I see someone's chart before I go in, and I, it's like a twenty five year old girl, he's like, I prepare myself because I I understand that like I maybe I'm going to like think that she's attractive, yeah, and I'm gonna like he's, have like, to touch her boobs, and so yeah. like I prepare." And I was like, hmm. "That makes sense.
1: Interesting." Yeah, because I definitely don't want my doctors to be turned
2: on near me. But you know what? Really, I I kind of do.
1: Really? Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah, but it's like I just don't understand where the boundaries of these things are. Because like, if I did ask my gynecologist and then he said no, I would have to get a new doctor, and that seems annoying. True. Would you have to get a new doctor? Yes, because that would be so awkward. Keep going (laughs) back
1: to him. Oh my god. But on the other hand, it would like neutralize any sexual attention, right? Because you're like, okay, there definitely isn't any. He might no, you know, you're right. No, I would definitely have to go to a new doctor. <laughs> if we have any gynecologist listeners, definitely call in and tell us, is it appropriate or is it inappropriate for Carly to think this? Would you ever date one of your patients? The number, by the way, to call in is 646-494-3590. On the subject of dating apps, I want to float this theory by you and see what you think. I think people should lie more often in their dating apps and dating profiles. And my reason for this is that I've been thinking a lot about this dilemma, which we've talked about before, that I think there are some certain different characteristics on, um, say, like a Tinder situation people will, you know, do their snap reactions to. And thus people sort of their ugliest stereotypes or their ugliest – they don't give a chance to certain people like you I was talking to a friend who's heavier and she was like I feel like when people look at my dating app all they see is my weight they don't see anything else when she meets people in person they like meet her they chat you know they know she's charismatic blah, 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 blah. and I was like that's so unfair because there are certain characteristics that people grab onto when they're doing like a snap judgment like on a tinder and then I was like honestly I think you should just use skinnier pictures and like I know that that's theoretically one of those faux pas that you're not supposed to do. But I also do think that there are certain characteristics that people snap react to in unfair ways. And then I was like, I think I just made an argument for lying in your dating apps. And now I think more people should lie in their dating apps.
2: I mean, maybe a little bit, right? Mm-hmm. Like maybe it looks like you're 10, 15 pounds lighter. Yeah. I don't know. I also just think it is it is a little bit sink or swim, um, yeah. the dating apps. And I interviewed... This guy who's uh studies social interactions at um at Oxford, he's like a fellow of like online interactions, and he was like, absolutely, people who are more physically attractive are always going to do better. It's just like mm. there's no way around it. And then there's like certain characteristics that you can never get across. Um, yeah. In photos, that's like some people, for some people are very attractive. Like one of them, for example, is the ability to tell stories. Mm-hmm. So especially women are really attracted to men who can tell a good story and can be funny. How are you ever going to translate that ability in an app? You you, you know, you just yeah. can't. Um, and so for a lot of people who aren't as physically attractive, you have to kind of like leverage your personality by mm-hmm. meeting people in person. I think it's just like that's just the way it is.
1: Yeah. In our last podcast, we were discussing that that people make radically different decisions when they're making the decision of who they want to go on a first date with versus who they want to go on date number six, seven, year number six, seven, Um, which is one of those just really unfortunate decision making dilemmas that I feel like you have to just be aware of and try to like hack for yourself that you're like the people that I if you are looking for a long term relationship, knowing that the people you say yes to for a first date isn't the same set of people that you say yes to for like year number two or something.
2: Yeah. That's true. I I think um, statistically dating apps work really well for Mm -hmm. a small number of people yeah and just like sort of okay for most people Uh because if you are sort of like in that top 10 percentile where you're like better looking and like better interesting and have a better job then you can sort of just like all the superficial
1: things yeah yeah that make people
2: not necessarily all superficial like on dating apps like happen for example it has what your job is and Mm -hmm. where you went to school Mm
0: -hmm. and i think
2: um for people who maybe like don't feel like they're like in the, you know, the super hottest, but they have, like, a really good job, or they do something interesting, or they went to Harvard or whatever, then you can um, put that in your profile, and then all these things make you desirable or not. Mm. Um, But then, like, if you are in that very high percentile, or, like, the topper rung of desirability, then you sort of have your pick of everyone else.
1: Yeah. So what do you think?
2: Hmm. Does that make sense?
1: Yes, absolutely. But I think those are sort of superficial indicators too. Even though like going to Harvard is like it's a thing that has to do with more than like just the arbitrary way your face looks. But even that is such a like superficial indicator, isn't it?
2: Uh, Yeah, I do think. I guess dating apps can be very superficial. But I also think, but I think superficiality
1: can like liberate a certain amount of like activity and. I mean, I'm super pro-dating app.
2: Well, don't you think—OK, okay, so you can look at a dating app, and yeah. there's, like, a profile. There's mm-hmm. four pictures on it. And you're making a, judgments based on superficial things, who they hang out with, yeah. what they're wearing, like, what their job is, and, like, the one thing they chose to—the to, to the one sentence bio they chose mm-hmm. uh, to say about themselves. Don't you feel like you can tell a lot about who that person is and where that they is fit society? And, like, what their background is and what their personality you get, is like?
1: You realize how much information you get from a picture? So much. That— You sort of can't grasp. But I think it's like I keep on trying to think of what you can do to get rid of the superficial indicators that people react to that they should not be reacting to. Right. Like race or um, like I always sort of bring this up that I have this one outrageously hot Asian guy friend straight. And he's like, I never get any matches on dating apps. But in person, I get lots and lots of people who want to date me because he's awesome. Um, And it's like, how do you get people to react? I don't know. Maybe there was no answer to that. Um, But you know what I think? I think every dating app should give you, like, a report that's like, FYI, you swipe left categorically on all Asian men, and then you have to, like, look at that and confront your horrible self and choices. Whoa. That would be harsh.
2: Yeah, I definitely (laughs) think that, you know, there's been all these articles. Like, you only
1: swipe right on people that went to, like, universities that cost $100,000 each. Like, that, FYI, like, cool if you can live with that
2: self, but now you know. (laughs) But do you think that, like, um, the dating app's, create racism, or it's—I it's. it's I almost feel like technology enab- enables things or just highlights things that already happen That's in real true. life. So it's like, probably if you're swip- swiping left on Asian guys, it probably means that you t- just wouldn't date an Asian guy anyway. But you should know that.
1: But you know what? I do think that it allows—those are sort of biases people have, but I think that it's that—in that sort of speed, like— What's the first thing I notice, and what do I think? Like, this guy looks like a nerd to me. I don't know why he just does. And mm-hmm. then, like, having something that coherently puts together, like, this is the type of person you think is cool. FYI, you only think white people are cool. You know, right? Um, and if so, you should be on Raya. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> So I think we have a listener voicemail from an episode we did about the sexual self-inventory, looking at your dating patterns and your fucking patterns. So let's listen to that, and then Carly and I will discuss it.
0: Hi. um, I'm a big fan of your show, and I was calling about the episode, um, the sexual self-inventory, about knowing your number and knowing your list. I started keeping a list of uh, all the people that I slept with a few years ago when I was talking to some friends about a theory that I had – that the relation between the, the attractiveness of your partner and the amount that you enjoy your sexual encounter with them is not necessarily linear for women. Um, that it, your enjoyment increases with attractiveness up to a certain point, but then plateaus or falls down because usually for women who have sex with men, um, if the guy is too attractive, then he won't be trying hard. And this is something that's come up on the podcast a couple times. Um, so if somebody was challenging me on this and saying uh you know do you have any proof for this and i thought uh no but i do have a lot of data points so i started writing down all of my own history and i've been keeping up that list and i've tried to analyze my own data but it's quite noisy um so i was quite interested to see if there's anybody else out there who's doing this kind of thing um maybe mona chalabi who has been on the podcast a couple times would have some data on this but um, my question is is there a nonlinear relationship between uh how much, how attractive your partner is and how much you enjoy uh, your encounter with them. And can we use, can we get that question using data? Uh, love the show. Thanks so much.
1: Interesting. What do you think? Is there a linear relationship between hot, like, does hotness mean hot sex? Uh,
2: I don't know. I definitely know I've slept with a lot of really ugly people who are bad in bed. So, like, <laughs> I don't necessarily think that, like, just because you're not hot doesn't mean you try harder. Yeah. I've also slept with a lot of hot people who are really giving. Yeah. I don't
1: I don't know if there's a correlation now. I really also want to try to take my data points and figure out if that's the case. As a journalist who does this, I feel like that's my obligation to try to solve this question. So I will say that I recently for the first time maybe in my life, this is going to sound terrible, slept with a fat man. And it was fucking awesome. And all this time I should have been dating fat guys. I have to say, I always thought I didn't like to cuddle until I was with a soft person. And I love it now. So that is a surprising thing. And I don't think it's the, like, he works harder because. I don't think it's that at all. Um, I think he's just good at sex.
2: Well, this is an interesting thing. Um, I guess, what do you value as being good sex? Is it literally just someone that can make you come a lot? Or is it um, being able to look at someone and be turned on by physically looking at them? Because I'm kind of just like, it's amazing when someone can make you come and they're really good at it. Mm -hmm. But... If I'm not physically attracted to them, I'm just like, cool, well, my vibrator can also make me come. You yeah. Know? So, like, I feel like I need both. I really need to be turned on by someone, and I need them to be good in bed. But I think I've also been surprised
1: at what makes me in the like, lead up to be like I can't wait to jump his bones you know and that for me it's usually it might correlate somewhat with physical attractiveness that like a really hot guy you want to do that but like it's so much in just attitude and the way you talk to each other and the way you just are physically around each other and maybe there's some weird pheromonal thing or not I don't totally know I kind of think that shit doesn't apply to me but then who knows but um but it's yeah. like,
2: someone is kind of gross, and that's turning you on. Yeah. Right? Like, have you ever had sex with someone, and they're just, like, looking at you like you're the hottest woman in the world because they're just, like...
1: I have this one friend that always says that she's like, I would prefer to be the slightly prettier one in every relationship, (laughs) which I was like, that's extraordinarily rude of you. And yet, okay, like if that's the way you roll, I go, okay. you can be the flower in the relationship. Yeah, there is something. I was talking to a friend once that she's like, you know, it just feels good that like every time I take my clothes off in front of this guy, he just freaks the fuck
2: out. Right. And like and being looked at like that can really turn you on. So then... It's that echo chamber effect of, like, somebody being so into you, and then you feel into
1: them, and, like, he's so turned on, and you're so turned on, you know? It's hard to to sort the chicken
2: or the egg there. Yeah, like, how would you ever really analyze if hotness equals better sex? Because sometimes, like, when I'm with someone that's really, really hot, I get nervous, and I feel like I don't relax. Oh, interesting. think i have that problem with hotties
1: but (laughs) i'm fine but yeah no i don't know if if i were to rate like just sort of objective hotness of each person i don't think that that how much that does or doesn't correlate with hotness to me and sexiness to me and good sex is like sort of i think it would be kind of all over the board actually But I do think it's true that once you're, like, above a certain level of hotness, it's kind of, like, he's at a base level. Like, I don't find him physically repulsive. Okay. So now that's when all the other factors come into play.
2: Right. Like, someone with really good technical skill, you're not going to enjoy having sex with them if you find them repulsive. Yeah. No matter how good they are. Yeah. on your clip or whatever. But, yeah, just, like, as soon as someone is, like, attractive enough that you would sleep with them. Then
1: it's everything else. Then
2: it's everything else. Yeah.
1: Yeah, maybe we are agreeing with her that. All right, well, that's it for Sex Live. Thanks so much to our guest, Carly Shirtino, who you can find at slutever.com or on Vogue. And a reminder that you can always reach our voicemail box at 646-494-3590. So this week, why don't you call? tell us your experience with dating apps? Do you think bars or apps are better for meeting people? How do you feel about Raya? And would you date your doctor? Doctors, would you date a patient? Um, So call in 646-494-3590. Sex Lives is produced by Sam Dingman and edited by Emily Rubin. Thanks also to Laura Mayer and Andy Bowers at Panoply. See you next week, and thanks for listening.